0: The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus
1: Entertainment.
0: Hey, hey, Disability Law Show is back. Welcome Friday. Another weekend is here. Good to have you with the show and with us. John Scholes, along with Savan Tamarkin, co-founding partner Sam Firu, Tamarkin, LLP just happened to be the most positively reviewed law firm in this country. You can check it out and reach out anytime 1-855-821-5900 if you're dealing with a troublesome insurer for your long-term disability. It could be a denial, could be a cutoff, could be that uh, old appeal which they've asked you to do a 100 times. Well avoid all that, sidestep it and reach out. The email address is help at disabilityrights.ca and if you want to go somewhere else to ask some questions anonymously you just need a uh, tablet, your cell phone, your smartphone or a uh, or desktop, right? MyDisabilityQuestions.com. dot com. Savannah, want to get right into this topic for uh, for this half hour, which is a good one. How your long term disability insurance company is viewing your claim and how to protect yourself. Bit of an inside look here. Let's get right into this. Uh, number one, you're viewed as a number, not a person,
1: a liability, and a potential fraud. How about that? Nice. I'm telling you, John, <laughs> oh. I can tell you that insurance companies, adjusters, anyone that works for the long-term disability world on the defense side is probably going to be furious at me <laughs> saying this, you know, that you as a claimant are viewed as a number, not a person, as a liability and a fraud. But you know what? honestly like I don't care what they think that's the reality the reality is insurance companies put out there all this garbage that there is just so much fraud going out there and people out there think that oh my god you know if you're making an insurance claim you must be fraudulent no that's just brainwashing by these insurance companies the reality is this these adjusters who work for long-term disability insurers they're not bad people, at least not the ones that I know. In fact, they're good people, many of them. I've known them. I've worked side by side with them. Uh, I, many of the lawyers on my team, uh, not, not just in Ontario, by the way, in BC and Alberta as well, they know mm-hmm. many of these adjusters. I like these people, but the reality is this. Insurance companies are not there to pay you. They don't want to pay you. They want to collect premiums. That's how they make money for themselves or shareholders and whoever else. And they don't want to pay claims. And if they pay claims, it's reluctantly that they pay them and generally after fighting many of these claims and being forced by lawyers like myself and my team members to you know to pay and so it's really important to understand that even though you are speaking with an adjuster and they seem sympathetic at least at first you need to be on your guard you need to be very careful you are a number to them these adjusters are handling a ton of matters Oftentimes, they're exhausted. They have a lot of files on their desk. They have certain quotas that they need to uh, adhere to, that they need to deal with. Uh, they are not supposed to be approving every claim. They're supposed to look at your claim uh, I- with a magnifying glass, uh, maybe a magnifying glass times 100, and mm-hmm. try and find any reason they can to stop paying you benefits. And That's why, John, we get called all the time by people who are denied their benefits or cut off their benefits before they are, in fact, ready to go back to work. And that's what we tell people, you have options when that happens. But it's important for you to understand how your insurance company is viewing you because it's very different than the way you view yourself. Yeah. You view yourself as someone who is entitled to those benefits. The insurance company sees you as somebody who's now taking money from them and they don't like it.
0: Yeah, it's not all candy and unicorns, right? That's what uh, you may think, or at least that's what they may lead you to think. But you also must be vigilant and view your insurer, not as a safety net, but as a party to a contract that must pay you under that contract. Don't forget
1: that. You know, years ago, when I first started uh, practicing law, I remember um, uh, working with a very senior lawyer, uh, and that lawyer said something that always stuck with me, which is that what people don't understand when they're buying insurance, not just long-term disability insurance, but car insurance house insurance travel insurance you're not buying a friend you're not buying even a safety net that's what they're telling you you're buying but you're not even buying that you are buying essentially a contract a a legal contract that you can now enforce in other words you are buying certain rights and obligations that the insurance company has to pay you if you satisfy certain criteria under the contract and you must understand that that is what you are buying why because if God forbid you are denied your long-term disability claim or you're cut off at some point after being paid for a certain period of time, you're thinking to yourself, well, what can I do? There's nothing I can do. No, we go back to the contract. So if the insurance company says, well, you're not disabled under the contract, okay, well, let's see what the contract says. If the insurance company says, you have to go back to work now, okay, well, let's see what the contract says. If the contract Mm -hmm. says something else, well, then the insurance company cannot do that no matter how much they scream and yell and try to bully you. So you need to understand that. And again, we deal with that. We read these contracts. We know these contracts inside and out. And many of these adjusters that we're dealing with, they actually are not as familiar necessarily with those contracts as we are once we sink our teeth into them on your behalf. So if you're in a situation, again, where you find yourself getting denied or you find yourself getting cut off your benefits or the insurance company is telling you something that... You know, raises some red red flags. You give us a call because we'll be able to help you. We'll help you navigate that contract and your and your your rights and the insurance company's obligations.
0: Let's get to one more of these, how they're going to view you and uh, your contract for that matter, talking about the insurance company, what you've got to know. You want to shield yourself from any excuses that the insurance company may have to stop your benefits. How do you do that? You see your doctor regularly, you get treatments and uh, you're recording all your conversations and interactions with your adjuster. Contemporaneous evidence, right?
1: Exactly. So this goes back to the other points, which is insurance companies are not there, or at least uh, the, the way that they're structured is not there to simply pay out every and each claim. They're there to collect premiums as much as they can and then pay out as little as possible, if anything, on any particular claim. And one of the ways that they do that is by finding a reason, an excuse, some kind of a justification for denying your claim. And oftentimes when people contact us, John... We we determine that those justifications, excuses, or reasons from the insurance company for not paying are completely bogus. They're invalid. So you can do certain things to shield yourself. One of the things you can do is seeing your doctor regularly, following treatment recommendations. Because I can tell you, I have seen this time and time again when an insurance company says... Uh, you, you know, based on what we're saying in your doctor's notes, you're not going to see him or her regularly enough, or you're not getting those treatments that you were told to get. And so therefore, you're in breach of your policy obligations to follow recommended treatments, or to get reasonable treatments. So a- again, you want to make sure that you do whatever you can not to give the insurance company an excuse or a justification to cut you off. Now, if they cut you off again, or deny your benefits, we're the first phone call you're making, right? Because we're going to tell you exactly if, in fact, the insurance company is correct or not by cutting off your benefits or denying your claim. But please just, you know, do yourself a favor and, and do what you can, you know, to avoid that. Don't give the insurance company that ammunition against you. If it happens, we can help, but you don't have to give them that. By the way, John, on our website, ltdfaq.ca, which mm-hmm. you're going to repeat after the break, there is a memo there about the most common reasons for why insurance companies deny long-term disability claims. So if you go to that website, ltdfaq.ca, click on that memo, uh, you will get the frequently asked questions and you will understand sort of the most common reasons we see for why insurance companies deny claimants their long-term disability ben- uh, benefits. And, and if you look at those reasons, oftentimes it's common sense how to, how to avoid you know, those those mistakes and not give the insurance company ammunition to stop uh, your, your your benefits and deny your claim.
0: We're going to take a short break here and fill the rest of our time with some of your emails. Appreciate you sending them uh, sending them along as we were chatting here for sure. You can do it anytime, by the way, help at disabilityrights.ca and the number to call toll free anytime. Savan and his team, one 821 We'll take a short break and continue. This is the Disability Law Show. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. All right. Welcome back. You're almost there. Weekend's almost there. But we got a few more things to talk about here on the Disability Law Show on your Friday evening. As mentioned, anytime you want to go there. Ltdfaq.ca. That is all constructed to have short memos about a variety of topics. You simply select one: appeals, Ltd, returning to work, independent medical examinations. I uh, got CPP disability. There's a ton of topics, and you click on the answers now button, and there's a drop-down menu. Really simple to navigate. No, uh, you know, legal speak. It's all in layman's terms. And if you just want to make a phone call anytime to Savannah and his team, you could do that. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred and help at disabilityrights.ca. Laura is first up uh, on the show tonight. Savannah will get to her email. says, hey, Savannah, is there any formula to calculate how much to ask as a settlement and an accident insurance claim? My husband had an accident at a neighbor's house while he was helping the neighbor clear snow, and he slipped, and his hand went into the snowblower chute. He required two surgeries and finally an amputation of part of one finger and permanent metal brace in another. How about that? He has constant pain and has lost a good percentage of his strength, flexibility, maneuverability on his left hand. He cannot grip tools like he used to. Everything takes longer, and he often drops things. The insurance company has told us that we have to calculate an amount as damages, and I have no idea how to go about doing that. Any help would be great. Thanks. Brutal
1: it, it broke where i'm so sorry for what your husband has gone through i mean i you know john i'll share something with our listeners that is a bit uh, gruesome but i i know what he feels like because when i was i think it was 14 i was 14 years old uh you know i had an accident with a lawnmower uh, i won't get into more than that but uh, i understand exactly what her husband went through uh, except that I was a kid back then and her husband is a grown man and is now having issues obviously with his hand, um, and, and who knows what that's going to be like in terms of his ability to do things around the home, um, in terms of work, etc. How do you calculate damages? Look, it's more of an art than a science. I remember as a law student years ago being sent by my mentors this is before we had the internet, uh, the way we have today and all that. And i was sent to the law library to pick up uh, a few books uh, and these books uh, were about calculating damages for personal injury in canada and john i kid you not you look at the table of contents and, and this is what you see you see neck shoulder head uh, arm finger and, and essentially what these are in the index are references to the chapters in those books that then lists the various cases across the country where people injured those parts of their bodies or had amputations or sometimes had fatalities, right? You know, if, if you lost a spouse or, or uh, you know, a family member. And these cases that would be in those chapters would be cases that people have gone to court over where judges have said, this is what it's worth by way of pain and suffering. So, for example, in this case, he had surgeries. I mean, he had an amputation of a finger. Uh, he had an issue, obviously, with, with, uh, his hand. He's having uh, permanent issues, flexibility, maneuverability of the left hand. I don't know if this is a dominant hand or not, but if I was back in time, went back in time, I would go to one of those books and I would go into hand and I would look at what similar cases, not necessarily with people putting their hands down a snow, uh, a, a snowblower chute but people who have issues with amputations of hands or fingers, what you know, the value is of those. And, and the problem is that these are all arbitrary numbers, but we have to go to prior cases in Canada where judges have made opinions and provided judgments on those kinds of cases to understand what the values are. So I can tell you that it does vary, and it varies in terms of the pain and suffering. It varies in terms of other heads of damage like income loss. Maybe they're going to need now help around the home to do things that Uh, Laura's husband can't do, maybe $100 a week worth of stuff that now they need help with. Uh, If you're looking at just pain and suffering, again, it varies. I would need more information here, but I would say, what, $40,000, $50,000, $60,000, $70,000 for pain and suffering? That may not look like much, but people need to understand that we have a cap in Canada in terms of how much you can get by way of pain and suffering damages. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that the cap stands at uh, just under $400,000 with today's inflation approximately. But there are some cases out there where you can get pain and suffering for an injury that's worth $20,000, $40,000, but because of your injury, you now can't work the way you did before, and now you're losing twenty to $30,000 a year because you're unable to do the hours or the, the functions of, of your work that you could before your injury. And let's say you have 10 years worth of, of uh, losses, income losses, at $20,000 a year because of your injury, well, that's $200,000 right there. And what happens, John, if he needs help around the home? Uh, let's say he needs, I don't know, $10,000 worth of work uh, assistance around the home because he has this issue to his hand now. For the next 10 years, that's $100,000. So you see, Laura, I would need to understand a lot more about the, the impact of your husband's injury on uh, your, your life, uh, on, on uh, his ability to do things around the home, any special damages or expenses, out-of-pocket expenses he incurred. Yeah any treatments he may need, it can get very complex, right? I mean, we can do a whole show just on this one, and I can go through detail uh, with everything. But the reality is uh, there are a lot of damages that he potentially could be entitled to by way of compensation. And so I would like to speak with you, Laura, and your husband at your convenience, by phone, Zoom, or in person, and explain everything, and then we can go it. And by the way, if you go to a lawyer that's going to tell you, I can guarantee you X amount of dollars, I'm telling you right now stay away from that lawyer because no one can guarantee that. These are always ranges. There's ranges of damages depending on how he uh, um, heals, depending on what functionality he gains in, in, in his left hand, depending on what the doctors are saying. So, so John, these are all little factors, uh, not little factors, important factors we need to consider, and, and the assessment may be changing over time depending on how he heals and what happens with his mobility and ability to function.
0: Laura, I appreciate you taking the time to write in. Here's that number and follow up with a phone call for sure, One eight five five. Want to scroll down to to Amanda's up next. Short and Sweet says, hey, Savannah, can you reapply for LTD long-term disability once your two years is up, still receiving medical treatment and not ready to return to work?
1: All right. I'm going to sink my teeth into this one, Amanda. So (laughs) let's assume that what you're asking me is that you've been on LTD long-term disability for two years or approximately two years, and your insurance company is telling you that they're cutting you off. And now you're saying, or you're asking, can I reapply for long-term disability at the end of those two years? Let's start from the beginning here for anybody who's not familiar with long-term disability. Typically long-term disability policies will take you to age 65. That's when they expire. Not all of them. Some of them are limited time policies where you only have LTD for two years or five years or 10 years. Some of them may take you beyond age 65. So we have to look at your policy but let's assume Amanda is dealing with a typical uh, policy that takes her to age 65. Now, I don't know how old Amanda is, but let's say she's not 63 years old, okay? Let's assume, or let's say she's not turning into, uh, you know, to to to, to 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 the age of 65. Uh, well, in that case, if she remains unable to work, and typically what we say is if she satisfied the criteria Uh, the change in definition date, the two-year mark change in definition date, she's entitled to LTD beyond the two-year mark. So for the first two years on LTD, under most policies, you get long-term disability benefits if you cannot perform the essential tasks of your own occupation. Beyond the two-year mark, the test changes. Now the test is, can you perform the essential tasks of any occupation for which you are suited for by training, education, or experience? If Amanda is unable to perform the essential tasks of any other occupation for which she's suited for, or for which she's able to get commensurate income, Mm -hmm. let's say 60-65% of her pre-disability salary, she should continue getting LTD. And if she's cut off, or if the insurance company says you should be able to go back to work or to some other job, and her doctors disagree and she disagrees, well then they should not be cutting off her benefits, and we can help her with that. So that's something I want to make sure that people understand, John, that if you are told your long-term disability benefits end uh, at the two-year mark, uh, you know, you, you have to ask the insurer, what, 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 you know, what are you saying here? Do I only have a two-year policy? If so, I want to see the policy. Well, you should see it anyways, because most policies are not two-year policies. They're much longer policies, policies that take you to age 65. But most people think That their benefits end at the two-year mark because insurance companies say we're not going to pay you after the two-year mark because we think you can do some other job when in fact they cannot. Again, if you are not able to work in any other job for which you can get 60-65% of your pre-disability income at that two-year mark and your doctors confirm you're still disabled and you're still getting treatments, give us a call immediately. We will help you get benefits beyond that two-year mark.
0: Thank you so much, Amanda. Again, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. 821 5900 Move on to Sonya. Sonya's email says, I stopped taking my antidepressants without my medical team knowing for a few months because I was scared what it was doing to me, but they since found out and they prescribe me back on the medication, and I'm taking it as prescribed. If insurance finds out this happened, can they legitimately cut me off my LTD? Do I have to tell them before they find out? Is there something my medical team can do to help not getting me cut off that
1: insurance? So that's an interesting question, Sonia. I mean, you do have an obligation under your long-term disability policy, and I'm talking now generally speaking, I'm assuming you have a general policy, to undergo and undertake reasonable treatments. Now, what I typically tell people, John, is that if you have, uh, if there are recommendations for you to take certain medications and you're not reacting well to those medications, you should be speaking with your doctors about alternatives. Right. I mean, if you communicate with your doctors, be it uh, a psychiatrist, uh, a chronic pain specialist, a psychologist, whoever it is, if you talk to them and you tell them this is not working, it's it's making my condition worse or it's creating a different condition, let's say I'm becoming anxious now, uh, well, then they're going to work with you, presumably, to help you get other types of treatments or calibrate your medications. Now, in Sonia's situation, she stopped taking certain medications for a few months, and now she's concerned, obviously, that the insurance company is going to cut her off. Well, consider this, that uh, uh, they they have continued paying her. Uh, Now that she's back on medications, whether it's those medications or different medications, I can't see the insurance company having legitimate grounds for cutting her off, because she stopped going on those medications because they were bothering her. And now that she's back on medications, clearly she's showing that she's interested in getting better. She's complying with the terms of the policy. If the insurance company cuts her off, to me that would not be a difficult claim to bring against the insurance company to force them to either continue paying her or to pay her whatever the settlement amount is to try and resolve her claim to pay her what she's owed under the policy. So it's really important to understand that you do need to be forthright with your insurance company however however your insurance company can't just willy-nilly cut off your benefits they can simply deny your claim if you are in fact sick if you are in fact disabled from working whether it's an injury or an illness or a combination of both whether it's physical psychological or a combination of both of those you are entitled to long-term disability and if the insurance company cuts you off for any reason no matter how legitimate that reason may seem, you should speak with us because we'll tell you if the insurance company is in fact correct. And John, I've had situations happen in the past where insurance companies have cut people off because they've stopped <clears throat> certain treatments. And and the reason for them stopping those reasons be exactly because of what Sanya is describing, which is that it, it, the treatment are backfiring. They're actually right. creating more problems. Uh, And what we've done in the past is we've gotten reports from the doctors confirming that, in fact, this person was getting adverse reaction from those treatments and and then recommending other treatments, which the person was willing to do and was doing. And in those cases, the insurance companies came back to the table after we became involved and then either put those individuals back on claims, start paying them monthly, or we had simply resolved the claims on a lump sum basis... For our clients' benefit. Uh, and, and you know, without us, I can tell you right now, these insurance companies would not have paid a dime to these yeah. poor people.
0: Let's get to uh, Janice quickly here then. She says, uh, Savannah, I want to know if you can help my husband deal with a situation that happened to him earlier this year. He's walking out of an office building and he's about to step off the sidewalk. A portion of it gave away, broke off, lost his balance, fell down, tore his left shoulder, hit his face on the pavement, had to have some oral surgery to fix his mouth. Both in their 70s, semi-retired, it says his husband did woodworking at home and sold furniture, only only earning about twenty-five dollars to $30,000 a year from it now, but can't because of his shoulder issue. He's done. He won't be doing it. Can they go after the people? I guess she means the city for this. Apparently, the sidewalks was just redone by the landlord, so I don't understand
1: why it broke. Well, I mean, it's interesting you're saying, uh, you know, presumably the the municipality, but we don't know if the city or municipality is responsible for this. It's a sidewalk, Mm -hmm. but we don't know. I mean, remember, she's saying here that the sidewalk was just redone by the landlord. Right. Right? So that's another question here is, is it the landlord? Is it the city? Janice, 100% your husband is entitled to compensation, and it could be significant because now he cannot work. John, this is a claim just from the facts that, that Janice has given us, I can tell you, is worth in the six figures. Whether it's 100000 hundred thousand, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars wow. 300000 I don't know exactly, but it's a lot of money that he's owed, and we'll be able to help them.
0: Janice, thank you so much for reaching out. Uh, right there, that was the email address. And uh, yeah, follow up with the phone call for sure, because this is going to go uh, a lot further, and more information is coming your way for sure. You want to do that, one 821 5,900, Janice, and you as well, if you've listened for the last hour, appreciate it. The email address we always use, help at disabilityrights.ca. And for short, concise, non-legal speak memos about LTD, ton of topics, really easy to navigate. It's called ltdfaq.ca. And we'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show.